Welcome to the Lightly Salted Podcast. These are the readings and sermons of St. John's Lutheran Church of Park Rapids, Minnesota. They are offered so that the Word of God would shape and strengthen you to be what He calls you to be, salt and light. You can find us at stjohnspr.org. Now, on to the Word. Our Old Testament reading for this, the Transfiguration of Our Lord, is recorded for us in the book of Exodus, the 24th chapter. God has brought his people out of Egypt. He has brought them to his holy mountain. And he now calls Moses along with some of the leaders of Israel to come and dine with him. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay a hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, And the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our epistle reading is from the second letter of Peter, the first chapter, where Peter, who was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, reminds us that we have something much more certain than visions of glory. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite the congregation to please stand as we join in the triple alleluia.
The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 17th chapter. I was debating on how I was going to introduce the Gospel because most of the time I would say, you'll notice it starts after six days. Well, I'm sorry, I'm using that as part of the sermon, so here we go. After six days... Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. When he was still speaking, when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. This too is the word of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Glorious story. Great ending? That's the title of today's message. I chose that title not only because of what we heard in our gospel reading, but also because the um, miniseries, the first season, whatever you want to call it, of 1883 has sort of been on my mind, having watched it. Now, this story is of the Dalton family, set in 1883, as they set out from Texas uh, to find a new home in the West. They end up traveling with a group of immigrants who are looking to get to Oregon along the Oregon Trail. 1883 is violent. It is profanity-laden, and it displays a very wide range of dubious moral choices as it presents the real hardships that were faced on the journey by so many people. Now, I'm not going to give it away. My wife and I have been talking about this a little bit. How do you talk about it without giving it away? And I would actually add to this, I'm not necessarily recommending everybody watch the show. But what is really interesting is that all along the way in this show, the writers are leading you down a path you don't want to go. Literally, 
from the opening scene, the story writers are pretty clear where the story is going to go. It is an extremely tightly woven and really an, an excellent story. They make you love. They make you lose. But if it's a great ending, that's going to be up to you. It's going to be up to you to decide whether you love how they wrote the story or if you'd rather choose a different ending. You see, it, it's been going through my head, both of these stories, because both of them, 1883, and, and the story we heard today, this event in the life of Jesus and the three disciples, they are amazingly glorious stories. What an event we have with the transfiguration. The absolute glory, the majesty, the shining. Moses and Elijah, the, the cloud of glory, the very voice of God. In our short event, recorded in only nine verses. If it doesn't leave you with your, your eyes wide open, your jaw just a little slack, and your mind somewhat stunned, well... And I hope in about the next 12 minutes, you're going to be just a little bit more amazed, a little bit more humbled, a little bit more awe-filled, and certainly more strengthened in the faith. Because this morning, I want to take you on a little tour of this event. We want to see this event in the majesty and the glory it was meant to express. We want to revel in the eyewitness account of this stunning event. And most importantly, we want to follow the twists and turns of the unfolding event so that we don't miss the great ending. So where do we start in this glorious scene? Well, we start with the first words. And after six days. Those words are easily overlooked. They are just connecting words after all, aren't they? Leading us to the more important things. But, as is often the case, they're not just leading us to important stuff. They're actually calling us to remember some other important things that have happened. And that there is a connector after six days. That should tell us that it's really important that what has just come before is connected to what's coming up. So what do we find that happened six days before? Well, I'll tell you, it is nothing less than Peter's confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What do we find happened six days before? Nothing less than Jesus saying, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What do we find happened six days before? Nothing less than Jesus giving to his disciples the keys of the kingdom to both bind sin and most especially to revel in releasing sin. What do we find happened six days before? Nothing less than Jesus for the first time openly speaking about his impending death and resurrection. Which then leads to nothing less than Peter rebuking Jesus, 
Lord, this will never happen to you. Which then leads to Jesus, who just having blessed Peter, says to him, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. For you do not have, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And all of that is leading to Jesus telling his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And then Jesus telling that he was going to be coming again in the very glory of the Father. When we are aware of the events that took place six days later, these simple words actually build anticipation, as does the rest of the sentence. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Again, these just aren't transition words. I mean, important things happen on mountains. It was at Horeb, the mountain of God, that Moses was pressed into service by the angel of the Lord in the burning bush. It was at that same mountain, also known as Sinai, that the spectacular events of our Old Testament reading took place. The 70 elders of Israel eating and drinking in the presence of God, whom they could see without dying though it was a rather fearsome sight. And for everyone who wasn't on the mountain, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Oh yeah, and it was also on a mountain, Mount Carmel, that Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal. You remember that showdown between Baal and Yahweh? The face-off which ended? with Yahweh's fire descending and consuming not only soaking wet evening sacrifice, but also the altar and the pit of water that surrounded it? Oh man, alive! By the time we get done with the first sentence, our anticipation level is so high. But nothing, nothing will prepare us for the next five words. He was transfigured before them. He was metamorphized before them. Yeah, the same word that we use to talk about a caterpillar became being encased in a chrysalis and emerging as a beautiful monarch butterfly. That word is used of Jesus here. This Jesus, fully man, born of the Virgin Mary, in whom all the fullness of the glory of the Godhead dwells, is metamorphosized to reveal the glory that has always been his. And his face shone like the Helios, the sun. That's bright stuff right there, isn't it? You're not supposed to look at the sun, are you? But his face shone like the sun. Bizarre, blazing godness breaking through his flesh so that even his clothes were transformed into the brightness of this light. Jesus, he was no longer casting shadows. He was casting light. But really, the amazing thing about this is actually not this miraculous revelation of this divine nature of Jesus. No, actually, the real miracle is that this wasn't happening all the time. Because this is exactly who Jesus is. God in the flesh. 
And this is what it means that Jesus lived his life in a state of humiliation before the resurrection. It's not that he was humiliated, but it is that his divine nature was not everywhere and at all times apparent and obvious. This is a reality that nobody perceived until this revelation, this metamorphosis, this transfiguration. <laughs> I tell you, if that weren't enough, behold, yep, there's that stepping up onto a, a folding chair to get your attention word. Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with Jesus. Two men who had been on mountains before. Two men who had experienced talking with God. Two men who had performed the work God had given them to do, including signs and wonders. Two men who represent all of the law and the prophets. They're here with Jesus talking to him. As stunning as it is in itself, it also makes a strong point. The same God who had appeared to Moses and to Elijah on their respective mountains, that same God is standing on that mountain right now with them again. This time in front of Peter and James and John. So just sit here in this moment and wonder at it all. Let your eyes be open just a little wider. Your jaw just a little more slack. Be amazed. Standing there is Moses, the great lawgiver, the great mediator, and the one through whom God delivered his people out of Egypt. Moses, who died, but whose grave was never discovered. And with him, the great prophet Elijah, the one who never died, but was rather taken up into heaven in a chariot of fire. These two are talking with the one who, shining in splendor, is immeasurably greater than either of them. Who wouldn't be struck silent? Well, we all know the answer. Peter. That's who. Yep. Peter's got to interrupt the scene. And we're sympathetic to his request for sure. But I got to tell you, this is exactly why I love Peter so much. He just doesn't know when it's time to open his mouth and time to keep his flap shut. But it is interesting. Because God the Father returns the favor to Peter. Did you notice that? While Peter was still talking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And now, now the disciples are face to the ground in terror. The voice of God overwhelming them. Just the way it had overwhelmed the people at Sinai. And they said, Moses, intercede, lest we hear any more and die. In mercy, 
Jesus approaches them, touches them, speaks a restoring word, rise and have no fear. Get up. Stop being afraid. And when the disciples lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. The cloud is gone. Moses and Elijah are gone. The visual splendor of the transfiguration is gone. They saw no one but Jesus only. And right there, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, right there is the entire point of the event. And we dare not miss it. The transfiguration is not about the glorious revelation. It is not about the stunning sights. It is all about Jesus and listening to Him. He is the very Son of God, filled with all sorts of splendor and glory. And He is one who, like Moses and Elijah, has a task to do. Do you remember what happened six days before? Well, among the many things was Jesus beginning to tell His disciples about His impending suffering, His death, and whenever He mentioned it, His resurrection as well. What was Peter's response then? Listening to Him? No. He rebuked Jesus. He said it would never happen to Him. As the disciples go down the mountain with Jesus, He will continue to show them the road that He must take. A road that they must follow. It is a road that will lead to another mountain. It is a road that will lead to great darkness rather than blinding light. But He is God's Son. He will perform the saving deeds His Father has given Him to do. Oh yes, it's a glorious story we heard. But do you consider it a great ending? Only Jesus? You know, we were not there on that mountain. We did not see with our physical eyes the glory and radiancy of Jesus shining and with Him Moses and Elijah. We did not hear with our physical ears the voice of the Father from the cloud. And you know what? That's okay. After all, only three did. Peter, James, and John. But we know it's true because we have, as what Peter said this morning in his second letter, we have something more sure. Something more lasting. Something more sure than this fleeting glimpse of glory. We have, Peter said, the prophetic word to which we would do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. And so what shines into all our dark places, all of our struggles, all of our difficulties, all of our pains? The Word alone. Jesus only. The Word which tells us that we do have a merciful Father who sent His Son, a loving Savior, who came to us through His glory, in His glory, through His death and His resurrection. And we have a Spirit who is given to us at all times and places in our lives, not just for a short time, 
in a glorious revelation. But it was the same that it was only Jesus, but it was not just Jesus, but the glorious Jesus that went with them down into the valley. It was just that the glory was now hidden again. Now, the same way for us, we have the Word, but not just the Word or only the Word, but we have the Word that is living and active, Spirit-filled Word, a Word that gives to us what it says, a Word that is not meant to just give us information for our brains, but power to fill our lives. It's the Word that reveals to us that the Jesus of this transfiguration event is also the same Jesus of the cross, and it is also the same Jesus that we receive at the font, that we hear proclaimed, that we receive at the altar. These are the places that Jesus now has promised to be for us with all of His glory, with all of His forgiveness, with all of His strength, and with all of His transfiguring grace to give to us again and again a glory and a kingdom that we cannot yet quite see with our eyes, but we know is indeed glorious. Amen. May the peace of God, established in Jesus' death and resurrection, be a peace that fills you in all times and in all places until Jesus comes again in all of the glory of his Father. Amen. Thanks for listening to Lightly Salted. We'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at stjohnspr.org or look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Our thanks to Eric Medeish at soundimage.org for Morning Jew. God's blessings. <laughs>